Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. A warm welcome to church. We haven't met yet. Uh, my name's Jono, and it's a, a privilege. I'm going to bring the word today. A warm welcome online if you're joining us. Maybe you streamed in because you watched at home, and you just couldn't quite bring your heart to get off the couch. You're like, oh, but you are streaming in, so we appreciate that. Uh, but today we are in week three of a series on... Fasting, that's right, said with less vigor than I was imagining when, when I was hoping for. Week three of a series on? Fasting. That's better, the most excited people to ever uh, talk about fasting ever, right? Uh, and, and we're in week three of a series on fasting before we start fasting, just in case you were like, wait a second, uh, Kent just said uh, that we're starting a fast next week. Why are we talking about fasting before we're fasting? We're talking about fasting before we're fasting so that, like Kent said, we can be intentional in what we do. Yeah, we, we as a church, we, we have a, an annual 21-day fast in November every year, and, and it's a beautiful thing, but like with anything that we do on a regular basis, it can become something that we just do or don't do, right? Want to be inclusive of the room. Not everyone is fasting currently, or not everyone uh, participates with us. Hopefully, we're aiming to change some of those uh, statistics, but, but we wanted to talk about it because we, we believe that, that fasting is an important part of how we follow after Jesus, Right? Fasting is not commanded. You do not have to fast. How God feels about you doesn't really change whether you fast or not, but we do think that it's something that is helpful for us. Uh, and, and so it's our prayer uh, across this series that maybe you came in being like, oh yeah, I'll go through the motions, that you're a bit more excited about it. Maybe you came in being like, that's not a thing for me, and, and it seems like a bit more of an option. Maybe you're, you're super keen, and, and it's just been a good reminder, wherever you might be on that spectrum, that it's been helpful in some sort of way. So like Kent said, we are starting from the 6th till the 20. Six, yeah, there we go, that's 20 days, uh, uh, and so we're fasting together, and, and do, uh, this week is the first week we do have those calendars available at the help desk, uh, and so they start on the 6th, but get them now, uh, so get one before they run out, and there's a daily devotional uh, in there to, to help you as we, as we do that, is that good? Nice. Uh, so today, uh, what I want to do is on this kind of uh, third, third week uh, talking about fasting, is I want to look at the link between prayer and fasting, is that good? It's all right. Awesome. Let's pray, uh, and then we'll, we'll get into it. If we're going to talk about prayer, we should maybe pray. Uh, bow your heads with me. God, I thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to come together today. God, I thank you that, that as we look at uh, your word and, and what uh, the wisdom that you have for us, God, that, that it brings transformation to us. God, I thank you today that, that you meet us where we're at, that as, as we come today, wherever we might be, uh, in this journey of fasting, that, that you meet us. And I pray today that we don't want just good ideas. We don't want just information. We want to encounter you in some sort of a way. And so, God, I pray today we would encounter you, and that would result in something in us being different. God, would you be here? Would you speak to hearts and minds? Would, would your word ring true? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a story. Uh, in, in May uh, 1940, the Nazis had just overrun France, uh, and, and, and there were three, 338,000 Allied troops had, had had to retreat because of the, the Nazi victories in France, and, and they'd retreated to the point that they had found themselves trapped on the beach at Dunkirk. We'll put up an image behind me. This is a, a painting of the scene. 
trapped on this beach at, at Dunkirk. The enemy in front of them in France and, and the ocean behind them with no hope of rescue in time. And, and the British Prime Minister Winston Churchill is gearing up for the complete annihilation of the British army. This is the, the last defense between England and the Third Reich's advance. The triumph of Nazism seems a, a given. But then on, on the Friday, the May the 24th, Hitler issues this completely confusing, a baffling and a order to his generals to stop their assault, to halt what they were doing. And the German tank division stops just 10 miles away from the beach of Dunkirk. And then the, the city is enveloped in this strange mist that's a, a kind of mix of, of fog and smoke. And so the German air force can't bomb the soldiers who are like sitting ducks on the beach. And, and then one more thing happens, even stranger, the, the English Channel, which is notorious for its high winds and, and choppy waters, it settles to a perfect calm. Historians describe it as being like bathwater, and it stays so calm for three days. Now, this combination of three things, the, the, the stop of the advance of, of the tank unit, the fog, this mysterious mist that comes in that obscures the beach, and the, the completely calm British Channel makes it possible for, for hundreds of small civilian boats to cross the channel and rescue troops from the beach under the fog. This story was, was made famous, you may have seen the movie directed by uh, Christopher Nolan in 2017 called Dunkirk. But, but what's interestingly not in the film that did happen is that also on that same Friday, May the 24th, King George, upon hearing the news of this impending invasion of, of basically what, what seems to be the, the the sure demise of, of Britain and the Allied forces, the, the triumph of Nazism in World War II, he calls the nation to a day of prayer and fasting. And tens of thousands of people line up to get into Westminster Abbey in, in London to plead for God's mercy. Just hours after King George calls for a day of prayer, Hitler orders this weird stop of the tank division. And over the next three days, all 338,000 troops were saved. Now, that generation that lived through it did not call it Dunkirk. They called it the miracle of Dunkirk, the outcome of which arguably saved the entirety of England and, and changed the outcome of the war. Now, was it, was it a miracle? Or, or, or was it just coincidence, right? Was it God's response to, to prayer and fasting or, or just poor strategic planning by the German army? We don't really know, right? But what I do know for sure is that all throughout the library of Scripture, prayer and fasting go together. There seems to be some, some link, some join of, of the two of them. There's a synergy that happens. Now, of course, you can pray without fasting. And you can fast without praying. In fact, that's one of the reasons that we're having this series, right? Is that when we do something continuously, we continue to fast on an annual basis. But for many of us in the room, we would acknowledge, hey, because of this has just been a habit, it, it can become more about the food. And I'm doing the fasting thing, but I kind of forgot to pray, right? We know that we can pray without fasting. That's what we do most of the time. We know we can fast without praying. That's what we do sometimes. But there's something that seems to happen when you combine the two that's more than the sum of the parts. The Bible seems to suggest that fasting is a way to hear God and to be heard by God. A, a word on each today, right? 
I want to speak to these two kind of concepts. As we come into a, a time of prayer and fasting, we've talked about how we pray and fast as a way of first and, and primarily, ultimately, it needs to be about pursuing Jesus. That we're trying to say in what we do with our actions that our body is not some dirty meat machine that we're waiting to be free of one day, but that God made it and God made it good. That we can worship God, not just with our ideas as we can fall into the habit of thinking in the Western world, but, but with our bodies and we can bring our bodies as sacrifice and worship to God. And, and that one of the ways that we can do that is by denying our flesh, by not doing all of the things that we always want to do, learning, training ourselves that our strongest desires are not always our deepest desires. The things that we want to do in a moment often rob us of the, the larger truths of the people that we want to be. And, and fasting is a good way to remind ourselves of that, to train ourselves in that, but also to ask for God's help in that. But fasting is also a way to pray. Not just a way to do something in our body, not just a way to worship God, but a way of, of bringing our prayers, our requests to God to hear what He is saying and to be heard by Him when we have something we wish to say. So first of all, to, to hear God, right? In, in Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 1 to 3, we read this fascinating story about the first disciples of, of Jesus. It says this, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 13, verses 1 to 3. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Maanan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, I want you to notice something here. You, you probably have heard the story before. You're like, yeah, then they went and did cool stuff. But, but how do they hear? How do they find out? How do they come to the realization that Saul and Barnabas are called to do something? It's as they are worshiping and fasting, right? And, and, and throughout church history, some version of the story has played out again and again. Right, I know this has been my experience and the experience of many others in the room that when we fast, something of God's voice takes on an aspect of clarity. That fasting is a way of saying, God, I really want to hear what it is you would have for me to do. And so I'm creating space to hear from you. We, we, we spoke uh, last week a, a bit about what's happening in our body as we fast. Right, the, the physical effects as, as we fast. Because remember, like I've already said, we're chipping away at kind of this false dichotomy that we've picked up, that there's a difference between our body, our physical flesh, and, and some kind of unseen thing that God has put into us as spirit. We're reminding ourselves that a biblical view is that we are a whole person, seen and unseen, body and, and some other part of us. And so what we do with our body matters. And so last week, we covered some of the ways that fasting is good for your physical health. Yeah, does anyone remember some of those? Like, no, I've forgotten them because it made it too compelling a case to fast, so I've dismissed them, right? If you want to hear that, you can go back and listen to, to last week. But what's interesting is fasting is not just good for our physical health. It's also good for our, our mental health. You know, peer-reviewed studies have, have shown or, or demonstrated that when we fast, fasting increases the blood flow to our brain. Right, really, it doesn't increase blood flow to our brain. What happens is that there's not so much blood flow going to our puku, right? We all, we all know this feeling. It's, it's that feeling of the, the post-Christmas meal fog. Yeah, has anyone experienced that? You eat a big meal, and all of a sudden, what happens to your brain? 
It turns off, right? Because the blood in your body is going to your digestive system to enable your ability to digest. And so when we're fasting, there's, there's more blood in our body to go to our brain to, to bring about some, some more alertness and clarity. Fasting, though, does more than that, or maybe because of this, it also has been shown to increase neuroplasticity. That's the ability of your brain to make new neural connections. Fasting has also been found to decrease the neurotransmitters that signal anxiety and depression and to increase those that elevate calm and a sense of well-being. Fasting has, has been shown to increase what's called, uh, I need to read this off here, I'm going to get it wrong, interoception. Uh, mm, yes, that's a word that, that I'm aware of. Uh, interoception is, is basically a fancy word to describe your ability to accurately notice what's happening inside your body and mind. It's a self-awareness of, hey, I'm, I'm not just floating through life, but I am a person in time. What am I thinking about? What am I feeling? To be aware of your body. You know, it's interesting, those kind of moments where you stop for a second, where you catch your breath and you realize, oh, I have a body, Right? Maybe you need to do that right now to slow yourself down and be like, oh, I think since the game finished, my heart has been racing. Right? I was not on the field. I was not in the fight of my life. I am not in danger. I am safe. Right? I can breathe deeply. Oh, there we go. My heart is slowing down. That feels better. Right? But, but that ability to be aware of ourselves. And so with so many benefits, both physically and mentally, it's not surprising that fasting has been practiced by many faiths and cultures throughout history. Right, we talked about in the first week that the first recorded uh, fast for spiritual discipline is, is Moses on Mount Sinai, but it, you know, it wasn't just contained within uh, the Christian faith or, or the early Jewish faith. It was later adopted by Confucius in China, the, the yogis in India. Pretty much all of the Greek philosophers, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, were all advocates of fasting. Not to mention the, the recent explosion and popularity of intermittent fasting among those in the health and wellness community, or it's practiced by writers and intellectuals for many years due to its effects on mental clarity. Right? A lot of famous authors throughout history, you read some of their autobiographies, and they write as they fast because they find that when they are fasting, they can write better. And then they overindulge the, the other time, right? But we're not advocating for that. Um, we're, we're talking about the fasting bit. Because fasting is a way of, of honing your mind to a point of alertness and focus and, and perception. And, and, and to repeat, this doesn't happen overnight, right? Some of you are like, liar. I've tried fasting. None of those things happened for me, right? I felt grumpy and I had a headache. I did not achieve any more clarity. I was not, you know, this, it did not work for me. You are a snake oil salesman, right? I tried it. It sucked. I didn't feel sharp or alert, just grumpy. And, and like I said, I had a headache. And, and I want to acknowledge, right, if you are new to fasting, and especially if your regular diet is high in maybe some, some overprocessed sugar and refined grains, as much of our diets are, then at first maybe you get a headache or feel dizzy, right? Your body kind of detoxes from, from what it's been used to. But with consistency, your body will adapt. And when you fast, science tells us you will start to feel clearer and more alert. What does that all mean? Right? Well, if you look at that objectively, then you can probably see how this would be helpful in putting your body and your mind in a position to hear from God. Right? That again, our bodies are not separate from, from the unseen, that when we fast, even in an observable way, our bodies are more attuned to being able to think more clearly, to if God is speaking, to be able to hear Him and grasp what He might be saying, to put us, we could say, in an ideal state to hear God's voice. 
Now, now, not only does fasting put us in an ideal position to listen with sharper and more attentive minds, but we also position ourselves in a place where God can speak. Right, Our mind is attentive and our heart is humble and hungry. I think of God's words uh, through to Israel through the prophet Joel. Joel 2 verse 12, God says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Or Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 12 to 14. This is the one after the one that we all know. You will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Now, Jeremiah doesn't specifically mention fasting here, but he does use the same phrase, with all your heart. And all I'm saying is that fasting is one of the ways in which we can seek God with all of our heart. Where our seeking after God is not just an intellectual thought exercise, but we say, God, I want to hear from you and I'm bringing all of me to do so. And so again, I think it comes as no surprise that throughout all of Scripture and church history, there are stories of people fasting to hear God's voice of direction, or what the New Testament writers would call discernment. You know, I think it's it's interesting, right? When it comes to a a big decision in life, we we often ask a lot of people. I don't know about you, you know, you start to shop around for opinions. Often what you're doing around is you're shopping around for confirmation of what you want to do if you're anything like me, right? You're like, let's find someone who agrees with me so that I feel like it's not just me making this decision. Uh, you disagree? No, no, we'll disregard that. We'll find something that agrees, right? But I think it's fair to say that all of us are like, hey, if, if I could get like God's opinion on a big decision, that would be helpful, Yeah. Uh, particularly if it agrees with my opinion. But even if it doesn't, it would be nice to know what, what he's thinking. And, and I think often when we, we look for God, you know, what are you saying about this? What, how can I discern what, what you would have me do here? We're, we're looking for like clouds to spell it out, yeah? Or, or like a direct prophetic word from a recognized prophet or something like that. And, and those things aren't bad. But, but I do wonder, what if there's an opportunity to cry and create some, some stillness in our life? To, to maybe wait on God. To, to move from a place of just making decisions to actually trying to, to listen, to discern what God is doing. Just a, a framing shift from, from looking at the world solely from a place of what is a good and wise decision to make my life better to, to maybe a, a scarier frame of, of, God, what are you doing? God, where can I move in, in line with what you are doing? I guess that's really a, at a deeper level. It's a move from control to surrender. Right? It's a scary one. That's why sometimes, if we're honest, we don't want to know what God thinks about things. So like, I, I, I want to do what I want to do. And it would be really inconvenient and, and uncomfortable for me if you had a different opinion to me, God. I don't want to discern what you're wanting to do. But, but there is an invitation throughout Scripture to pray, like the psalmist says, God, show me the way that I should go, for to you I entrust my life. See, I believe that, that deep down, convenient or not, comfortable or not, we do all want to hear from God. But often what gets in the way is that every yes is also a no. Think about this. Have you ever tried to listen to multiple conversations at once? Right? Have you, anyone in the room with more than one child right, has experienced this? One's talking to you about one thing, another one's talking to you about another thing. Do you understand what either of them are talking about? No, right? You cannot follow. Or that if you're anything like me, you're at like a, a dinner or a party or something, and someone's talking over there and someone's talking over there, and you're meant to be talking to someone, but then you hear something over there that takes your attention, and you don't mean to, to listen to that conversation, and then you're over there, and then this person asks you a question, and you've got no idea what you were just meant to be talking about, right? It's hard to divide your attention in multiple spaces, 
And, and yet so often I think this is kind of what, what happens to us in our lives. We have so many voices clamoring for our attention, and, and many of these voices are based around our wants and needs. From kind of the surface level and, and pretty easy to dismiss, oh, look, that's nice. Hey, you would be happier if you bought that. To, to maybe the, the deeper, more truly felt worry or need of, man, how am I going to provide for, for my loved ones? How are we going to make this work? What is next year? What is tomorrow? What is next week going to look like? There are so many voices that clamor for our attention on a daily basis, even just within us, let alone the, the world that we live in that is always looking for our attention to monetize it in some way to convince us of the next thing we need to buy to be happy. And what if in denying our flesh, as we talked about last week, we can create some, some still? We can quiet some of the voices for comfort and pleasure and create some space to hear the still, small voice of God, to, to hear God. See, that's why one of the things that fasting can do in, in collaboration with prayer is it can help us to hear God. Not because God's waiting for us to fast and then be like, okay, now I'm going to talk to you. But, but instead, because so often there are so many other things clamoring for our attention, that fasting, as Ken said earlier, is a way of just creating some space, creating some stillness, turning down the volume on the other voices so that God's voice might come through, that we could hear what he was saying all along, that we could discern, God, where are you moving? And again, I don't want to set anyone up. That's not necessarily going to be like a, here is the 20-step plan. Here are next week's lotto numbers, you know, whatever that might be. If you do find those out from God, do let me know. Um, because as your pastor, I get a commission on any word from God that leads to monetary gain. I don't know if you uh, knew that you signed up for that, but you did. Uh, that's not true, just to be clear. That's, uh, that is a joke, right? But I mean, if the Spirit leads you, that's, um, <laughs> that's called spiritual abuse. I apologize. Uh, Right, but it's not saying that it's like that, but often we do get a sense of peace or God's going to speak to you in the way that God speaks to you, right? We had a whole series on prayer for the first half of the year where we talked about that, that God, you know, it's not always an audible voice, but that God speaks to us through our thoughts, through our feelings that we can discern in the company of, of wisdom, of putting it through, uh, you know, community and saying, hey, I feel like God's saying this to me. But that when we fast, we create space for the voice of God. We fast to hear God. But it's not just to hear God, it's also to be heard by God. Now, God, God hears our prayers, right? Whether we are fasting or not, right? God's not like waiting for us. There's not something about fasting that seems, uh, that, that, you know, means that God is only going to listen then. I'm not saying that the outcome of the game today would have been different if more of us had been praying and fasting. But maybe you want to try that next time, right? I'm just, you know, again, you know, half a dozen to one, it was also a joke. You can just, just roll your shoulders a little bit, feel a bit better. Right? I'm not saying that, that God is waiting for us too fast before he hears us, but there does seem to be in Scripture something about fasting that amplifies our prayers before God. Let's look again at, at Acts 13. The second half, that they'd fasted and worshipped, first of all, and they'd heard from God, God, this is what we, you know, send Saul and, and Barnabas, this is what you're saying. And then it was after this, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, I don't know if you, but that kind of strikes me as a little bit interesting. Like, guys, you've already been fasting and, and worshiping. You felt you've heard God say to send Paul and Barnabas. Why now more fasting? Right? Why are you fasting again? Like, what's going on? Well, first of all, they fasted to hear from God. But secondly, they fasted to be heard 
by God. They, they were sending Paul and Barnabas, and they fasted as a part of their prayer of sending. See, this is one of the primary reasons that we fast as a people, as God said through the prophet Isaiah, for your voice to be heard on high, or other translations translated as, as to make your voice heard in heaven. Right? Do you ever feel stuck in prayer? Do you ever feel like there's something coming from you, but it's not quite reaching God? Like there's a wall between you and God? Well, as the preacher Tony Evans puts it, fasting helps us to activate God's power. Now, again, we need to be careful here, right? Fasting, fasting is not a hunger strike to pressure God into what we're doing, right? We're not trying to like, oh, God, if you don't do, we're not some sort of toddler who's keeping our mouth shut until mum and dad acquiesce to what we want to do and give us dessert and don't make us eat the peas, right? We're not Gandhi up against the British Empire overcoming an oppressive force. God is a kind and loving father, and yet, Back to this line from Jeremiah, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. There there is something about seeking and finding God and and in the way that we seek and find God in offering something of us, even though God doesn't need it, God seems to value it. That, That in praying in a certain way, in worshiping God, not just intellectually or conceptually, but bodily and fasting, that something seems to happen. Peter Gregg of 24-7 Prayer puts it this way, the discipline of fasting can focus our prayers in the way that a magnifying glass can focus sunlight to start a fire. We don't make the sun shine, right? We're not, we're not creating something, we're not coercing God, but, but prayer does seem to bring about an opportunity when combined with fasting. And again, I want to be really clear, there is a lot of mystery here. We need to be careful to not get prescriptive of like, God, but I followed the method and the manual, so you have to do what I want. No, instead, what's happening here is Scripture tells us what? That when we add fasting to prayer, something happens. That there seems to be a correlation between our requests and the release of God's power. Now, it does not tell us why, at least not clearly. And different streams of the church have had different theories throughout history, and theories will come and theories will go. My theory, does anyone want to hear my theory? It's, you know, again, this is just, I'm allowed to change my opinion next week. But my current theory is, is that for me it rings true because I think God is relational. Right? God wants relationship with us, and, and he's not going to force relationship with us. He's not going to force anything on us because love by its very nature is, is non-coercive. And, and so when we pray and fast, we embrace something of who he is. It's, it's not that God becomes more, but, but it's that we become more able to receive him. We make space, not just space to hear him, but maybe even space for God to move because prayer and fasting does help to quiet all of the other voices and distractions. It helps to eliminate whatever might be in us that is creating relational distance between us and God or, or that's drowning him out. Right, that's just my current working theory. We don't manipulate God. We don't coerce God. It is not a method or a manual, but God is in relationship. And when we come to him with all of who we are, he responds because he is loving. We create space for him and God fills that space. However it might happen, whatever the why is, Scripture is clear on the what, God responds to prayer and fasting. I'm almost done, but I I think of the story in Jonah chapter 3, right, where the the city of Nineveh is warned of its coming destruction. And we read this, Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 and 10. It says, the Ninevites believed God 
a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, right? It really it hammers us home. It talks about the animals even dressing themselves in sackcloth, which is quite a reaction. And then it says, when God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. There's an interesting play on words here in the Hebrew that we don't see in the English. This closing line, the phrase, turned from their evil ways and, and relented. Those are actually the same two words in the Hebrew. It's the, the word naham. And naham means to, to repent or relent or, or change your mind. So the text in the Hebrew literally reads, when God saw that they had nahamed, he nahamed. But, but what does that mean, right? What does it mean for God to naham? What does it mean for God to, to, to do something that is a word that's often translated as, as repent? I don't know about you, I don't often think of God as like a God who needs to repent, kind of in his very nature, it would probably mean that he's not the type of guy who needs to repent because he doesn't do wrong, right? Uh, Arthur Wallace in, in the book God's Chosen Fast writes this, and I think this is a, a really helpful way of thinking about this. Because man repents in respect to sin, God repents in respects to judgment. Man's change of heart makes it morally possible for God to behave differently towards him, yet acting consistently with his holy character in principles, right? In repenting, in harming, in changing, the Ninevites make space for God to not give them over to their evil. They, they reach a hand out of the water, so to speak, and so God can pull them from the sea in which they are drowning. But until they reach a hand out, God is not going to force his saving grace upon them. And so when they naham, when, when they repent, God says, all right, I don't have to let you be overtaken by the evil you've committed to yourself to anymore. I'm not going to force a rescue on you, but now that you have repented, I can change what's going to happen. I, I think often we can, we can make the mistake of thinking that God is going to do what, whatever God's going to do. And so our prayers don't really matter. But, but the pattern that we read all throughout Scripture is that when God's people pray, and especially when they fast, He responds. Right, Jonah is one story, but the scriptures are full of stories like it. King Jehoshaphat, Queen Esther, the church in Antioch, many more. That there is an authority that we step into when we fast. When we pray and fast, that the evidence of scripture would suggest that something happens. I think especially in Western culture. In a culture that is defined by pleasure and comfort, when we fast, we, we give up something of that pleasure and comfort. We say, hey, I'm not going to be defined by what culture tells me is good and, and right for me. I'm going to look beyond that and choose to partner with God. What are you doing? Where can I deny myself? When I can, where can I pursue your will, what you are about? G.K. Chesterton says it this way. He says, it is the paradox of history that each generation is converted by the saint who contradicts it most. See, I, I think we are called to be in the world, but not of it. And like I said, we live in a place and time that is defined by the pursuit of pleasure and comfort. And when we fast, we go against the driving story of our culture. We become those saints who contradict the society we live in. And in doing so, I think we step into something of an authority. We at the very least gain a clarity. As I finish and, and I'm done, as the band comes out to join me on the stage, 
All, all this to say, when it comes to, to hearing God, and, and when it comes to being heard by God, not, not only is fasting an aid to prayer, it is an amplifier of prayer and a powerful one at that in a way that we cannot fully understand. But we always need to keep in mind that the end goal of prayer is not to get God to do what we want. It's not to convince Him or to cajole Him. It's not to go on some sort of a hunger strike. But the, the goal of prayer is relationship with God Himself. It's intimacy. It's, it's union. It's to hear God, Father, Son, and Spirit speak their love over you and to speak your love back in return. And so my encouragement is quite simple. When you need to hear God or when you need to be heard by God, why not step into the wisdom of the, the history of the church and practice fasting? And this is one of the reasons that we as a church practice fasting at the end of every year because we want to create space to hear from God before we go into a new year. We don't just want to kind of mull our way from one thing into another. We want to create a moment where we say, God, I want to seek what you are doing in the new year. I want to discern your will, where you are moving, and I want to come in line with that. So we create a space of prayer and fasting to hear from God. And we fast and pray so that we can pray with authority into the year that is to come. To say, God, there are some things that happened in 2023 I don't want to take with me into 2024. And there are some things that I can't change. I can do what I can do, but I want to pray and I want to fast and declare that some things are being left in the year that was and some things are going to be new in the year that's to come. Now again, are we guaranteed that what we pray is going to come to pass? No. But should we do all that we can so that we might embrace God wholeheartedly with all of who we are to pray with an authority into the year that is to come? I would say yes. And so in the middle of something that we do that is amazing, but maybe we have done so long we've forgotten the reason behind it, could we take the opportunity to, to rediscover, to redig the well that is prayer and fasting in this church? I wonder, you know, a week out if we could start to dream about what might happen. What might this church, what might your lives, what might our community look like in 2024 if we heard from God and we were heard by God? If the places in which there was brokenness in our city, we could speak into with authority. If the places in which you felt clarity and, and lack of direction, you could hear what God was doing and come in line with that, that we could move with God. And so again, I know I might sound like a, a broken record, but the aim of this series is for you to fast for you to join us, to take a calendar today even, to commit before the time that you're doing it, to pray and to fast, to like Ken said, decide now, make a plan. Hey, this is what I'm gonna do. As a church, this is the way that I'm gonna fast. And, and to get excited to start to think, man, I'm believing that as we fast, God's going to move. I'm believing that as we fast, God's going to bring clarity. If, if it's God speaking, then the clarity that's going to come, it's not just going to be a one, two-person thing, right? We don't follow God just on our own. We follow God together. What happens if you started to get some words if God was speaking into your life that impacted the lives of those around you? That the way that God wanted to move through you wasn't even just to primarily or even at all bless you, but to bless those of the lives around you. What if we could turn down the voices that we hear all the time in the world and amplify the voice of God? And what if, and this is the stretch goal, we didn't even just do it once a year. What if we started with a, a once a year fast? What if that was still an important part of our rhythm? But what if we embraced something of the discipline of the church to say, hey, I'm gonna create a space for God every week. I'm gonna seek Him in prayer and fasting. 
I don't want to wait for the end of the year to hear from you, God. I want to, sure, a breakthrough fast is important. I'm going to go for that, but I want to hear what you have to say to me all the time. I want to pray with authority whenever I can. What might be on the other side of us as a church intentionally seeking after God? Church, will you stand to your feet with me? In a moment, I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to do one other thing and then the the band's going to lead us in a song of praise as we go out. But but just before I I, I do close in prayer, I've been speaking about this God who who loves us and who hears us regardless of what we do. Right? God who does not require a hunger strike from us because He already loves us as much as we could ever be loved. But I've also talked about a God who's non-coercive, right? Who is not forceful, who does not make you receive His love. And it's for this reason that that when we gather, we always seek to create an opportunity that you can receive God's love, that you can respond to Him, that you can welcome Him as your Lord and God to receive the freely given gift of salvation. So His heads are bowed, His eyes are closed. If you're here today and and, and you would recognize something in you that says, hey, I, I realize that I haven't been trusting God as God. In fact, maybe I've thought of God as this kind of distant, sort of grumpy fellow who I need to impress, who I need to convince to be all right with me or who is angry at me and I need to hide from. Today is simply an opportunity to come back into right relationship, to believe the truth about God rather than that lie, to believe that He loves you, to believe that He is for you, to believe that He sees you, to believe that He hears you and that you don't need to do anything to convince Him. That He loves you not just because of who we are, but because of who He is. That His love is not based on our behavior, but based on His character. And so His heads are bowed, His eyes are closed. If you're here today and you've, you've maybe never chosen to trust God in that way as your God, you've always thought of Him as a scary person you need to hide from, or maybe you have trusted Him at once, but somewhere along the line, you, you started feeling like you needed to hide, like you drifted away, like you trusted in something or someone else, maybe even yourself. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'd just love to know if you want to pray this prayer with me to to dedicate your life to God for the first time or as a recommitment. I feel the Spirit of God moving in the room, that there are people here today saying, yeah, I want to respond. Today is a day of freedom for me. If you're one of those people who wants to respond with me today, his head's about, his eyes are closed, would you just lift your hand and let me know? Three, two, one. On today, if you're responding, you just lift your hand and let me know. Awesome, just a moment longer. The others today who are saying, Yeah, that's me. When online, I can't see your hand, but your decision still matters. If that's you, we'd love to join you in response. Church, would you repeat this prayer after me today? Jesus, today I choose to follow you. Thank you that you love me, that you came for me, and that I cannot and do not need to earn this. Help me today to trust you, to love you, to follow you. Be my Lord, be my God. In Jesus' name, amen. Just one last moment before we go into a song of praise. His head's about, his, his eyes are closed. God, we thank you for what you're doing. 
God, we thank you for your voice that goes out. God, I pray today as we come together that, that we would leave here encouraged. God, where there might be the opportunity to, to think that we need to fast to convince you of something or to win over your favor. God, we come against any of those lies and we remind ourselves of the truth of who you are, that you are a loving and a kind God. But we also hold that with the truth that when we fast, when we pursue you in spirit and in truth, in our body and, and, and that the reality of who we are, in a full and total way, God, we find you in a different way. So today, would we not be a passive people who sit back and wonder what God might do? Would we be a people who are active, who are engaged with what you are doing? Would we be a people who pray and who fast? God, even in anticipation, we look forward to what is to come. We thank you for, for, for the opportunity this coming week to, to bless our community in heart week. God, we thank you that, that even in that, that act of mercy and justice and love is the type of fasting that you seek, God. But we pray, would we be a church who seek you with all of who we are, with our actions, in fasting, in prayer, in the, in the very truth of who we are as a people. Would you move? God, I pray, would you speak to us in this coming week as we're thinking about how we might fast, how we might pursue you. Would you drop something into our spirits? We pray for our fast that on the other side, we will look back at the wonderful and miraculous things that you've done as we've heard from you, as we've been heard by you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.